look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, uh, you know that this was a section that we looked at, um, and that last time we looked at this, we looked at how the Apostle Paul was comparing or juxtaposing a life of being filled with wine to that of a life of being filled with the Holy Spirit. In that sermon, we primarily looked that time at the dangers of living lives that are filled to excess with with um, addiction and, and alcohol and, and drinking. We looked at, at that kind of life and why was Paul saying um, that that wasn't a good idea to live that kind of life. Now today we're going to shift our focus on the same verses uh, to look at the other side of the equation and look at living lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit's presence. I hope that's what you were experiencing today, a taste during worship of the reality of the Holy Spirit. And we want to look at this idea of what would it look like to live lives that are filled continually with the Holy Spirit's presence. doesn't mean you walk around all day long, hands raised, singing songs about you're the breath in my lungs. But what would this look like to be people who live lives that are filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit? So Paul talks about that. He says... Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's do a little comparison. I think we all know how we could get drunk with wine. It'd be pretty easy, right? We would, like, buy a bottle and keep on pouring. You know, that wouldn't be very hard. But I'm not so sure we can say that we are as certain about how we could live lives that are filled with the Spirit of God. See, because what we can't do, we can't just go out and buy a bottle of the Holy Spirit and just keep pouring until we've had our fill or have had more than our fill. But do you realize that that's kind of the way some people think about it, a Spirit-filled life? It's a mistake that, that, that people have actually made. People actually, in Scriptures, have made that mistake. Do you remember the story of Simon um, not Peter, Simon Peter, but Simon, they called Simon the sorcerer, in Samaria. He's talked about in Acts chapter 8. In that story, in Acts chapter 8, Philip, who was a, an evangelist in the new church, had led a whole bunch of people from Samaria into faith in Jesus. And when the disciples um, back in Jerusalem heard about it, they said, let's send Peter and John to that new group of believers so they can pray for them for a reason said, let's go have them go, pray for those people, says, said, so that they would receive the Spirit's fullness. So now one of the Samaritans who, who was in that group who came to trust in Jesus, his name was Simon. And when Simon saw what happened when Peter and John prayed for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, do you remember what he did? He offered to buy that ability. Kind of like buying a bottle. He offered to buy it. He offered to pay the disciples to give them the ability to lay hands on people so that people would be filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, let's look at what verses 18 and 19 say, and I'm pretty sure it's on the screen. It says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, 
saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, I want to buy some of this stuff, and I want to be able to have it, and I want to be able to distribute it. You know, he was a, he was a guy who bought, wanted to buy rounds at the bar, right, of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember how Peter responded to him when he had that approach to being filled with the Holy Spirit? Look at the next verses. Now, here's interesting. When I'm going to read this, um, I got done and I said to myself, well, you know, Peter, you're not very seeker-friendly when you say these things to people. Peter, you're not being very kind when you're telling this brother who has come to Christ that you better change or you're in a lot of trouble. But listen to what he says to him. This is what Peter said to him. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. And most people would say, well, don't judge me. Peter's saying, I'm not making a judgment. Therefore, he says, repent, which means change direction, change mind and direction on this matter. Repent of this wickedness in your heart wickedness of yours, and pray that, the, that, that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Wow, that's pretty hard. But here's the point. The point that we want to look at today with that is being filled with the Spirit isn't like being filled with wine. You can't just put your money on the bar and drink to your full. You can't just say, I went to church. Maybe that's our equivalent. I put my money on the bar. I went to church and I put something in the offering basket. And that means I'm filled with the Spirit. It doesn't work like that. So the thing we want to talk about today is, what is the Spirit-filled life like? And how do we live Spirit-filled lives ourselves? How, how could we live like that? This idea that of the fullness of the Spirit that God says is available to us and should be the norm of our lives, what does that like? What's that like? So let's answer that by looking at four truths about living Spirit-filled lives. And I'm going to challenge you to write these things down so you can go back and, and think about them later and, and, um, and say, okay, God, I want, to, I, want, I want to live a Spirit-filled life. So the first point, first truth we want to think about is this. The Spirit-filled life, it's about a relationship with someone. Spirit-filled life is about a relationship with someone. Now, in my opinion, this may be the most important truth to come to grips with when thinking about being Spirit-filled. That the Holy Spirit isn't a thing. That the Holy Spirit isn't a force. It's not like, may the force be with you. And we think of that a lot when we think in relation to the Holy Spirit. And for good reason. The Bible talks about the Spirit. We can't understand He's like the wind. But He is not a thing. He's not a force. He is a He. He is a He. Meaning He is a personality. He is a mind and emotion and will. And He's part of the Godhead. That He is someone you relate to. The same way Jesus came to earth and people related to Him, the Holy Spirit has come to earth. That's what was the promise of the Father. And we relate to him. And in some ways, you can think of it, we relate to him like you would relate to another person. So being filled with the Spirit is about the degree of influence that the person of the Holy Spirit has in your life. That's what really Spirit-filled is really all about. The degree of influence 
that the person of the Holy Spirit has in your life. And, and let me give you an illustration that's very limited. Um, I know that, and it's incomplete, but it's, it's an illustration that, that might help you understand this, I think, critical point of spirit-filled living. See, I have two sons, Josh and Brett. And all of us are personalities, right? We're people. We, he, they're he's, and I'm a he, and we're personalities, and we are in relationship with each other. Now, oftentimes, whether they like it or not, they hear comments like this. Boy, you're just like your dad. You look like your dad. You talk like your dad. You think like your dad. You believe what your dad believes in some ways. And what they're saying, what people are saying, or when I see something in them, and I'll be honest, when I notice it the most is when I see something in them that I don't like, but I know came from me. And I'm like, I don't like that. And Suzanne says, he's just like you. (laughs) And I go, you're right. Because they have been influenced by me, and I've been influenced by them, but I'm their father. You know, I influenced them from the day they were born. When people are in a relationship, there's influence. So when we are in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, there is influence. But unlike a human-to-human relationship, the influence of the Holy Spirit has the potential to be so much greater because we don't have an external relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have an internal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And here's something you need to come to terms with. The Holy Spirit literally, not figuratively, lives within the Christian. I don't know how that works, but the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, literally dwells within the Christian. Matter of fact, Jesus said it was better that he died and went to heaven. And the reason, the only reason he ever said it was better was because he would send the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't just be with you, he would be in you. Jesus said that makes it better. That it's more than a person-to-person relationship, which is external, it's internal. That he's literally within the child of God. And understand this, there's a purpose for that. There's a very clear purpose for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of his indwelling is to greatly influence us. That's what relationships are about, influence. And the reason he's within us instead of outside of us is he wants to greatly influence us from the inside out. In fact, his job within us is to reform us. We think of the word reform. What's reform? Reform. It's he wants to reform us, reform us, or make us different, take us from where we were to where he wants us to be, to a place, to who we are so much so much better, so much more influenced by him, and he does that from the inside out. We are to be spirit-formed people. So a spirit-filled life is about surrendering to and partnering with the Holy Spirit who loves you and resides within you, Spiritfulness is where the Spirit's influence greatly affects all of you. When I mean all of you, I mean your completeness. So that's the first truth you have to come to. And each of these truths kind of build on the the one before. So that first truth is, it's about a relationship with someone. Now let's move on to to the next truth. Brings us to the second thing, it's this. 
His influence is not automatic. It must be sought after. Let me explain what I mean. You say, but yes, the Holy Spirit dwells within a believer. But I'll tell you, according to Scripture, that a full influencing relationship with the Holy Spirit is something that must be sought after. Now let's think about this in another limited but human illustration. Think about it in terms of a marriage relationship. When two people get married, they become one new union, right? We talk about it in our weddings. What happens now? They prioritize each other above all other people, at least they're supposed to. They become physically one. They even have a legal document that binds all that they own together. Right? Is that kind of a good description of marriage? It's a union together. They're physically one. They prefer each other. And even legally, everything that was separate now becomes united. Now, question. Have you ever met any couple that was married in all of those ways, yet they were not close to each other? Yeah? Maybe you would even say this. They are a world apart. That they are very different. As a matter of fact, I say this, unfortunately, you see it all the time. Now what we know about any relationship is that a close relationship is not automatic. Just signing a marriage license does not automatically bring fullness and closeness and completeness. Just because you say we have it all together and we're united does not mean you have this intimate, close, connected relationship. No, how do you get it? It takes effort. A close relationship must be sought after. Time must be put into the relationship. Mutual submission must be developed. Priority to each other must be given. We understand that about marriage. At least we should understand that about marriage. You know, we we try to teach on that kind of stuff all the time. It's one of the phrases that Suzanne and I have that we learned from a professor who invested into us was that a marriage takes a effort. It takes a lot of energy in order to create a close and intimate and loving and a great marriage. So you know what it takes to get an A in school, and you know what it takes to get a D in school. What do you want, an A marriage or a D marriage? It comes to the effort you put into it. See, it's the same with spirit-filled living. Now, I'm not talking about earning. This is not a salvation issue. People always want to say, oh, you're talking about works now. No, I'm not. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. I'm talking about a spirit-filled life. It's something that takes energy to accomplish. We are in a relationship, but that relationship must be prioritized and invested in and submitted to. In 1 Corinthians um, chapters 12 through 14, to help understand this, The Apostle Paul is dealing with the idea of spirit-filled living in in that section. You think of chapter 13, you think of the love chapter. But 12, 13, and 14 are basically one statement. He's talking about spirit-filled living. He's really talking about excess of people who are abusing spirit-filled living. And Paul is dealing with the idea of spirit-filled living, and in particular is writing about how a spirit-filled life will involve the gifts of the Spirit... Things like healing and prophecy and miracles and tongues and interpretation. He's saying that's all part of it. And he's teaching about this. And he writes something very interesting as a very first line, sentence of chapter 14, verse 1. He says this. Pursue love 
yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Now, it's interesting there. In that one little sentence, he puts in gifts of the Spirit and fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, and its various parts are joy, peace, patience, all the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, pursue love. So he's saying, pursue this, this, the fruit of the Spirit, or the reality of an indwelling Spirit. He says, yet also desire earnestly spiritual gifts. And this is what I want you to notice here. Paul ties pursuit and earnest desire with spirit-filled living. A life of influence and involvement with the Holy Spirit, he's saying, must be pursued and must be earnestly desired. You see, there are many people who are legitimately Christians. It's not a salvation issue. They know the Lord. They're in the kingdom. They're, they're living with the kingdom now. And if you're in the kingdom now, you're going to be in the kingdom forever. Through all eternity, they're in the kingdom. Many people who are legitimately Christians but who are not living spirit-filled lives. Not living spirit-filled lives. The possibility is there to live a spirit-filled life for every single child of God. But it takes pursuit and desire. So that's the second point. So it's, it's with, a, with a person. It takes pursuit and desire. Now that leads us to the third truth. Tied to the second truth. It's about a lifestyle. I'll explain what I mean. It's about an approach to life. Now, since the Spirit-filled life is about a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and for this relationship to be full, it must, must take precedent, it must be pursued after and desired for, then I must structure my life in such a way that I am pursuing the right relationships in my life, and that's relationship with the Holy Spirit, over and above other pursuits in my life. Spirit fullness increases, listen, as self-willed, self-directed living yields to spirit-willed, spirit-directed living. Now that's that that's a that there's a whole sermon in itself. Spirit fullness increases as self-willed Self-directed living and understand doesn't mean that doesn't mean inferior. Some people think that well, self-willed is better. I'll be happier. Spirit-filled, spirit-willed is less. No, it's the other way. Living in the fullness of the spirit is the greatest experience. It's why how God created you to thrive. Spirit-fullness increases as self-willed, self-directed living yields to spirit-willed, spirit-directed living. So we structure our lives around a relationship with the Holy Spirit, seeking His direction, seeking His influence, seeking His transformation, seeking His fullness. We literally structure our lives around that. You know, it begins by inviting His presence in fullness into your life. Remember this. God has given you freedom. He has given you control over your life. You are the one who gets to choose how you live your life. He gives you that choice. You can choose a structure around seeking after him, or you can choose a structure after making $10 million. He says, do whatever you want. You can structure it after seeking him, or you can structure it after living for every sport or event or thing that you think will somehow make you happy, but it doesn't. But you think the next one will. It begins by inviting his presence and fullness into your life. That's what we saw in Acts chapter 8. Christian people who had just come to Christ, inviting the Spirit's fullness into their lives, 
They invited the disciples then to pray for them that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the starting point in asking for fullness. But here's what we've got to understand. It doesn't stop there. We invite the Holy Spirit's presence into our life, but it's not about an event. Spirit-filled living, sure, even it can start with a dramatic, life-changing event, coming to know Christ and then being filled with His Holy Spirit, but it's spirit-filled living is not about an event. It's not about coming to an altar one time and being prayed for. It's about an ongoing lifestyle. Ephesians chapter 5, the verses that we read, the Apostle Paul said this. We read it in the very beginning. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now that very sentence explains this. Our language doesn't allow us to understand it, but in the original language it does. The word filled there is what's called a present passive imperative. I very rarely point this stuff out because usually it just sidetracks you for what's really important, but here it is so important. The word filled there is a present passive imperative, which means, in the original language in the Greek, it means repeatedly being filled. What it means is be being filled. That would be the actual real translation of that. Don't be drunk with wine, but be being filled. Constantly be filled and refilled. God's people are to ask for and seek after being filled with the Spirit as an initial event and also as lives where we seek after continually having the presence of our God, of the Spirit in our lives, influencing us and changing us. Or we could say this, continually being refilled with His presence. See, that's what soul care is all about. It's developing a lifestyle or prioritizing, of prioritizing a relationship with God, prioritizing time in His presence above everything else, where you, you, you seek after Him, that, that lifestyle structure of your life is woven through every aspect of your life. It's welcoming the Holy Spirit's presence with your first thoughts in the morning, then adding fuel to your spiritual life all day long through scripture and silence and prayer, taking short breaks throughout your day to simply reorientate yourself back to the reality of the presence of God who's there with you anyways, and then ending your day asking the Holy Spirit to help you review God's activity in your life. It's just soul care is what it is. Spirit fullness results from an approach to life that weaves your relationship with the Spirit throughout every aspect of your life, allowing His influence in all of your life. Not compartmentalizing, which is what we like to do. Spirit fullness is about Sunday morning, feeling goosebumps in church. Now, I don't know about you, but I felt something this morning during worship. I felt the reality of the Holy Spirit. It was powerful, right? And that's good and it's wonderful. It's supposed to be. But a spirit-filled life is living a life structured around seeking after his influence, being open to his available presence, so that I'm experiencing, not that exact way, but his reality always, all the time and every day. It takes a complete transformation of how you structure your life. And that's why it's possible, and a matter of fact, it's often the norm, that there's all kinds of people who legitimately are Christians, but they're not spirit-filled lives. Because they structure their life like everybody else around them on the planet who doesn't know Jesus. And I'm telling you, you can do that, but you won't ever experience the fullness that God has for you. It takes a, it takes a restructuring of our lives. 
to, to, to develop a soul care plan. And we give you all kinds of tools for doing that in this church so that you can experience the reality of God in your life always, all the time. So this then leads us to our final truth for today about a spirit-filled life. And it's this. Number four, spirit-fullness is God's desire for all Christians. Living a spirit-filled life isn't something reserved for super saints. It's not something reserved for pastors. Well, pastor, you're supposed to structure your life like that. Or for missionaries. Well, you live overseas. You're supposed to do that. No. Spirit-filled living is the intended norm for every single person who follows Jesus. You see, a real Christian life is one of power. It's one of power needed for transformation. Matter of fact, we've been going through Ephesians. You ought to be able to know this. Ephesians 4 and 5, it's all about the main point, power for transformation, putting off the old and putting on the new. And it's about power needed for defeating the attacks of Satan in your life. And they're real. Ephesians 6, we're going to get to, that's what it's all about. Saying you need power to overcome the, the attacks of the enemy. Spirit, and the Christian life is all about power to take the gospel to your family and friends in such a way that is captivating. So that it's not just dead, empty religion that's, that's, that's powerless, but it actually brings transformation. Christianity is all about power to pray for sick people. And see God touch them. It's all about power to pray for people who are, who are in bondage and seeing them set free. That's normative, normal Christian living. And all of this, which is intended to be our normal Christian experience, all of it depends on the Holy Spirit's reality and activity in and through each of us, which only comes in its fulfillment and its power and its realization as we live Spirit-filled lives. You see, God never intended for you to live the Christian life by your own human power. You know what happens? After about 20 years, you give up. I can take you to church directory after church directory of people who were deacons and elders and Sunday school teachers, and they were, and they were in dramas, and they were leading things in parks for each lost people. And 20 years later, they've given up on church and they've given up on God. You know why? Because they tried to do it in their own strength. Christian living was never intended to be lived by human power. That's why God gave us His Spirit. That's why He told the earliest Christians to not do anything. After He ascended, He said, don't do anything until you first go to Jerusalem and you wait for the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And once the Spirit has filled you, then go out and change the world. Church, the real Christian life is a life that must have the Holy Spirit's power. That's why Paul looks at this, and he looks at a normal part of life. He says, listen, if you want to be filled with power, don't get drunk with wine. And he picks that because it has the possibility of giving a sensation that you have something that is life-altering. He says, don't get drunk with wine. He says, listen, friends, be filled with with the Holy Spirit. Friends, in light of this, we're going to end our time together this morning by giving us all, whether you say, hey, I've been filled with the Spirit, I'm li- or, or, or you say, no, I don't even know what you're talking about, all the opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit's fullness more fully and more richly into our lives. We want to welcome in 
spirit fullness into our life. Holy Spirit, we want to be people who are filled with your reality. We want to be people who are empowered to live the Christian lives you call us to live, not substandard. We want to live the normal Christian life that looks so abnormal in this world where we willingly will allow ourselves to be misused. We willingly will be lied about. We willingly will serve even though we're taken advantage of. We'll willingly love those who are hard to love. All of that is because of your presence that is changing us. But it's not human. It's not normal. It's spirit-filledness. So, Lord, we welcome your spirit filling and continual refilling into our lives.